Y'all ready for the word? Yeah. Um, today, depending on how much you know, how much you've attended here, uh, I think I'm going to say things that I haven't said this way previously. I'm going to say some things that I say often because there's only one gospel. And so we don't make a difference. Today I want to title this the undiluted gospel. And I think you obviously know what the word undiluted means. And it's just the pure, unmixed, unwatered down, uh, powerful gospel of Jesus Christ. Gospel, in case you don't know, means what? Good news. Uh, there is no bad news in the good news. The good news is not a mixture of good and bad. It is good news. And sometimes people say, why don't you preach about this? Pastor, talk about all this bad. Because that's not the good news. That's not what I'm called to preach. We're, we're to preach the gospel. And it's by the foolishness of preaching that men are saved. And, uh, you know, I believe that everybody in this room, everybody that's listening to me on Facebook or podcast or however they get this, and whenever they listen to this, I, I believe that everyone wants to meet Jesus. Uh, not as a doctrine, uh, but as a person. And, and we want to meet him where we hurt uh, because that's how we're healed. That's how we're, we're set free. Now, I want to tell you, the undiluted gospel, how, one, one of the ways that you know you've heard the undiluted gospel is when you hear it, it will absolutely astonish your heart. Uh, you will actually find when you encounter God's grace that it will be amazing grace. And you've heard, you've heard me say often that I grew up in a church that literally almost some amazing grace every Sunday in some form or another. It may have not been on the song list, but somebody would sing it. And, 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 and the thing that as I look back on that time, I mean this not offensively, but it didn't really seem like anybody ever was really truly amazed by the grace of God. And in decades of sitting in a congregation like you today, I never heard one message on the subject of the grace of God. And when I did hear the word grace used, it was always in a kind of a negative connotation. It was saying to us as, as congregants, don't, don't think you can slide into heaven, uh, cheap grace, greasy grace, those kind of words were used. And so to me, grace was not really a very important thing. And I looked at it more as a theological teaching and something that, that really didn't have much value. And yet the Bible said, and I don't know how I missed that, that we are saved by what? Grace, grace through faith. faith. And so if we're saved by grace, then that makes grace the most important thing we can talk about. And of course, then I came into, uh, I guess you would call it, the I call it the revelation about 20 years ago now, that grace is not a teaching, it's not a doctrine, it's a person, and his name's Jesus. And so if we're saved by grace, could we not also say we're saved by Jesus? The first time the word grace appears in the Bible is in Genesis, and it says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So grace has eyes. Grace has hands. Grace has heart. Grace is a person, and his name is Jesus. And, and, and so the undiluted gospel will absolutely amaze you, but when you, you know, if, you, if you're not amazed by grace, then what you have to do if you're going to try to to get, you know, what they say, get right with God, is you, you, you fake it. And, and, and that's a terrible way to live. I mean, in other words, you sing amazing grace, but deep down in your heart of hearts, you know you're not amazed by it. Well, I'm going to tell you, that's a, that's a real indicator that, that uh, you have not heard or been exposed to the undiluted gospel. Um, 
I'll listen to this statement. The Holy Spirit uh, desires not only to, in other words, the Holy Spirit wants to reveal Jesus not simply to you, but he wants to reveal Jesus in you. Now you got to hear that. You say, well, I don't, you may say, I don't have Jesus in me. Yes, you do. Even if you don't know it. And, and, and the Apostle Paul, who was a religious guy, murdering Christians, you know, I mean, most of you know the story of how wrong he was in religion. But he thought he was right. And in Galatians 1, in verse 15 and 16, listen to what he says. He says, but when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's room and called me through his, what? Grace. To Look at this. To reveal his son in me. That's what Paul said. That's what the Bible said. Paul said, I came to the knowledge that what the Holy Spirit did for me is he revealed Jesus in me. He didn't even know Jesus was in him. He said he, he didn't reveal Jesus to him, but he revealed the Jesus that was already in him. And, and, and the problem with that is you and I, we grew up, most, I, I would say probably 100% of the people in here, we grew up hearing that we were separated from God. Or in other words, that God, because of sin, and because of our sin, had separated himself from us. That God had separated himself from, from man. And, and that is the crutch of the theology that circulates through most of the churches in America. If you could put that slide up, Angela, for me, please. And, and so th this is the view you get. If you go on Google, don't do it there while I'm preaching. I did it for you. But if you go on Google and you put man and God, this is the images that you're going to get. Your, your image page, if you click on images, is going to be filled with these images right here. And this is where everybody starts from. That God and man has this big gap that there's a separation. And that the reason for the separation, and there's all varied pictures. Some of them have the word sin wrote in there. Some of them have the, a picture of the cross, you know, filling that gap. Which uh, an aspect of uh, that is true. And then, you know, some of them in the gap at the bottom, you know, got pictures of hellfire. You know? And they got all these scary images. And, and we've all grew up being taught and told that, that your sins have separated you from God. Now, the only scripture they really have for that is out of Isaiah. And it's an old covenant scripture when they were under the law. Well, newsflash, we're not under the law any longer. We're under grace. And you won't find one even hint, one even allusion to separation in the New Covenant, in, in, in the New Testament. And, and, but listen to me, what makes that message so dangerous is that if, if you believe, and, and that's, I'm going to tell you that's what most people believe, that, that people that are lost and that knows anything, they believe that they're, you know, they're cut off, they're separated from God. Uh, and if, but if, listen, if you believe you're separated from God, then you have to figure out a way to get back to it. Did you hear what I said? Now, if you believe, if you start with that, that premise, if you start with that foundation, if you believe you're separated from God, then you've got to find a, a way to get back to God. And uh, listen to me. Do I need to change something? You don't, you don't, you don't, have, you don't like All right, this one. Okay, can you hear me? I thought I was here and I thought somebody would just pour milk on Rice Krispies. 
Uh, listen to me. This is really important. I don't want you to miss this. But if, if, if you believe you're separated from God, then you've got to figure out a way to get back to God. Listen to me. This is the birthplace of religion right there. This is how religions work. Listen, religion is man's attempt to get back with God. And, and then everybody that comes up with a way to get back to God come up with their own unique version on how to do that. How to get back with God. And, and most, listen, most of us that are listening to me, most of us have tried several ways, versions, to get back to God or to get right with God. And, and, and a lot of versions are not only how to get right with God, but how to stay right with God. To make sure that God don't kick you to the curb somewhere along the journey because, you know, you, you're not pleasing to him. And, and so, and, and, but one thing that we know is no matter which version you've tried, you know what you know deep in your heart of hearts? It didn't work. Uh, and no matter which one you chose, they all have this in common. They all begin with you, man, as the center. And it's all about telling you the steps and the procedures of what to do to get back to God. And, and it's rampant. I, I mean, yesterday, just to, just to make sure that the world hadn't changed, I just typed in how to get right with God. Oh, my God. I literally saw seven steps to get right with God. Now, there's organizations that they're not far from me right now preaching, and they've got bigger churches than I got. And, and, and they unapologetically declare that if you're not a member of their organization, you ain't going to heaven. And I'm so tempted to call their name, but I just let you figure it out. Because I'm sweet. But there's a lot of organizations. There's people that will knock on your door on Saturday morning and wake you up. And if you're not part of their organization, they they got it wrote down. You you're going to hell. You're not you're not right. And there's there's many several worldwide organizations that that declare unapologetically that if you're not a member of our organization, you're not going to heaven. You're deceived. Well, let me go ahead and tell you any organization that puts that out there, that should be your alarm. You're in a cult. Call it what you want to. Put a cross on it. Sling a Bible, St. Christian song, put you in a cult. Well, that'll go down under red sandwich. Hallelujah. But no matter which one you choose, it all focuses on man. And you've got to be baptized by the right person who has to say the exact right phrase. There's people that say, if you don't say, if you don't baptize somebody in the name of Jesus Christ, and you baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, then those are the people that got baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're not going to heaven. Because whoever put them under the water didn't say, I baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ. Isn't that ridiculous? And what you going to do with the thief on the cross? Jesus blowed up all your religion because that man didn't get baptized. Yet Jesus said, this day you're going to be with me in paradise. Take that. He didn't join the church. He didn't write a check. He didn't do anything. He just said, remember me, Jesus. I got you, boy. Me and you are going to be together this day. No water baptism. No church membership. No, 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 no. Just wrecks your theology and all your little rules. Because if you can blow them up for one, then you can blow them up for the rest of us. And I'm not saying that water baptism is not important. I'm not saying that at all. 
But that's not where your salvation comes from. Water baptism is, is it is more than symbolic, but it is a it is a it is a display of what happens. You, you, you're, the old man is dead. You're buried. You, 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 when you're being baptized, you go in water. You're not breathing. It's symbolic of death, and and you're brought up. That's the resurrection. That's the power of the resurrection. Jesus not only was crucified, but he was resurrected. The Bible said you died with him. You were you you were raised with him. Amen. Jesus died. He's shedding his blood. That took away sin. But Jesus' resurrection gives you the power to live. But it gives you his life. Resurrected. Resurrection life. And so you, you, you know, they got all this stuff, you know. Uh, you know, Protestants, we, you know, we, we're, we're just bad. Oh, you want to get saved? Well, you, you, and here comes the rules. Oh, well, you got, and this is how most of it goes in Val Austin, South Georgia, United States. Particularly, bow your head, close your eyes, repeat after me, say the sinner's prayer. How salvation begins with the average church person, preacher, or whoever is confessing, confessing your sins. And they say, if you don't do that, you're not saved. And they want you to confess all of them, which is absolutely insane. You don't know all your sins. You only know what you had to eat last Thursday. You can't keep up with your sins. It's ridiculous. So if your salvation is contingent upon your memory, that's another picture there. But see, the undiluted gospel, listen to this statement, because I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because I talked about this last month. You know, a whole sermon on this. But the undiluted gospel, this is the statement that sets it apart from mixed hybrid gospel. Uh, God's forgiveness of sin preceded your repentance come before it. God's forgiveness of sin precedes repentance. Now let's make sure that everybody in the room and listen understands the biblical definition of repentance. Repentance does not mean to turn from sin. Not, it doesn't mean to turn about face. All that stuff you hear, it's a, that's not in the Bible. The word that's translated repent in the New Testament is the Greek word metanoia. It means to change your thinking. That's simply what it means. It means that and nothing else. It means to change the way you think. What, what am I changing the way I think about? First off, about God. Because you've been lied to about God and you have a wrong image of God and it's been flawed since the garden. And you inherited it from Adam. And you got to be fixed. Because you got a wrong, erroneous view of God. You've got a God created from your own pain, your own image, and your own problems, your own brokenness. And you've projected that onto this God. And you have created a mythological God that doesn't even exist except anywhere except in your mind. Then the Ludic Gospel, that's the statement that sets it apart. God has taken away through Christ Jesus the sin of the world. Not sins, the sin of the world. Now you hear me say this almost every Sunday. You have to decide what you believe. When, when John pointed at Jesus, it's about to say, Behold, God taketh away the sin of the world. Did he take away the sin of the world? 
does the sin of the world include you? Okay. So he took it away. So that's that is proved, listen to me, that is proved throughout the scripture. In other words, God's forgiveness of sin preceded your repentance. But, but what, what brought the repentance is that you saw and you heard, and, and, and it's this, the initiation of love and forgiveness from God, it calls to our hearts for a response. That's how you know, in other words, that's, that's good news. When you realize that sin is not a barrier between you and God. This is not to say go sin, it don't matter. It's, it's just the spirit of stupid has got to be on you to accuse me of that. But I, I'll take it because Paul got accused of that. When Paul preached like I'm preaching the grace of God, they said, well, if what you're saying is true, then let us all, let's all go sin then. So, you know, that God's grace may abound. And Paul said, you're stupid. No, he didn't say that. He said, he said God forbid. Peter heads. I mean, he was saying, no, that's not what I'm saying. But if you're not being accused of that, you're not preaching the same message as Paul. Because listen, if you preach the same message of grace that the Apostle Paul preached, you're going to be accused like Paul was accused. And, and, and so, so God took away the sin of the world. And, and that's, that's confirmed, that truth is confirmed over and over in the New Testament Bible. That's why in Luke 5, the, the man they tore the roof off and lowered him down, the paralyzed guy, that's why Jesus looked at this guy, listen, who did not open his mouth, he did not confess anything, he didn't say a word. Jesus looks at him and says, son, your sins are, not will be if you do X, Y, Z, your sins are forgiven you. Got two personal pronouns, that's enunciating it clearly, son, your sins are right now already forgiven you. The man didn't come for that. He came for healing. But what was keeping him bound on the stretcher was his thought that he might deserve to be there because of his sin. And maybe that's why I'm not getting healed. And maybe that's why God won't heal me is because of my sin. And I've got this record in heaven and I've got these bad deeds I've done. And maybe I deserve this. And maybe this is just part of it. Or maybe I'm reaping what I sow. Jesus was saying, that ain't got a jack to do with why you laying there. The reason you're laying there is because you've been lied to. You do not know that me and you don't have any barrier called sin between us any longer. Your sin, son, has been removed. You, you, you don't have any sin account with me. Your sin account balance is zero. Because the new covenant in Hebrews and Corinthians over and over, he says this, God says when this new covenant comes, he said this is going to be the covenant. I will remember their sins no more forever. God's going to keep a record. God don't write them down. And that's why it's blasphemous to say the Holy Spirit's convicting me of my sin. The Holy Spirit is God. God's already said in his word that he will not remember those sins anymore. That's what makes grace. It's just too good to be true. You mean God's not recording my sins? God's not going to play them in the judgment on the video screen in heaven? Heaven, no, he ain't going to do that. He ain't going to do that. All that's called bull that we all sit under. It's not the truth. So here's a man calling up his mouth. Jesus said, listen, man, you, you, your sins are forgiven. Get up, bro. Man got up. 
Acts 16, Philippian jailer, you know the story. Jailhouse rock, man for to kill himself. Paul said, Whoa, bro, we still here. And the man sees the power of God demonstrate. He says, What must I do? What's the steps? What's the rules? How do I get saved? Paul said, Believe on Jesus, and you will be saved. And you're what? The Apostle Paul didn't confess the sinner's prayer to him. He didn't tell to the man, repeat after me. He didn't begin with bow your head, close your eyes, confess your sins. He didn't say, confess, I'm a sinner and I need to say. He didn't do none of that. A lot of people do that. I'm, I'm going to need to write Joe Osteen, tell him, bro, you think you're a great man, but right at the end, when you try to get him saved, you start out with the same thing that all the other preachers do. Buy your head, close your eyes, confess your sins. Come on, Joe, man, you're better than that. That bothers me because my wife listens to it while she gets ready, and when he gets to the end, there he goes. He starts with sin. Come on, Joe, you're a grace preacher, man. You do better than that, bro. You ain't got to be like everybody else. Because that's not in the Bible. If you need more proof, we can just keep going. Nobody argues that Romans 10 is how the chapter that tells you how to get saved. Specifically, Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. It says, if you believe in your heart that God raised you from the dead and you confess with your mouth, then you're saved. And your confession is for righteousness. You're confessing unto righteousness. Righteous means I'm right with God. You're confessing that I'm right with God and I am righteous because you can't be right with God unless you're righteous. And you can't be righteous because you don't have anything to bring to the table. And so if you're going to be righteous, you've got to be as righteous as God. And how in the world are you going to be as righteous as God if that righteousness is not gifted to you? And so therefore your righteousness is filthy rags. You have been gifted the righteousness that is of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And now you have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And God puts you in Jesus and Jesus in you. And listen, listen to this caveat. The word sin does not appear anywhere in Romans chapter 10. What an oversight. What an overlooking the problem then. You know why it's not mentioned? Because it ain't an issue. Because God's not alive, Jesus took it away. You can't talk about something he took away. I told you they come every Monday morning and take my trash away. They have never brought it back. They take it away. Me and my wife do not have periodic discussions throughout the week about the trash. Should I put it on the curb? No matter how nasty it was or how many maggots was in there this time of year, they took it away from me. And buddy, when they take it, I'm glad it's gone. Because it smells up my driveway this time of year when it's heat. I'm like, yo, yay, brother, take it away. There's times I, I actually do, I'm not going to break person, but I, I'll run out there, man, and carry my bottle of water. I bless them, man. I said, man, I appreciate y'all. Here you go. And they've never said, don't give me that water. They, they, they pop that, they start drinking right in. And I always make sure the driver in the air condition gets a bottle of water, too, because even though he's he hanging on the back of the truck, but he still needs to drink the water, too, so. I appreciate it, man. I'm saying, I really, I appreciate that. They take it away. They take my garbage away. I know that's maybe a poor example for you. 
Jesus Christ come took all my garbage away. Y'all see? He took it away. He took it away before I even did it. Because 2,000 years ago, when he took it away, I wasn't born yet. I don't believe in that future sin and forgiveness. Oh, you don't, then we all lost. We've waited on another coming of Jesus and another another crucifixion then. If you don't believe in the future, how many of you were sins for the future 2,000 years ago? All of them. So knock off what you don't believe in. You better believe in it. You better pray that that's the truth. So, but we are all told that God is separated from us. Can you put that next image up? The garden deal? I don't know how well this translates. This is Adam and Eve getting kicked out. And I don't know if you can see God up there, but he, that face on that, I don't know if you can focus in on that and you look and you see it, but that looks like a demonic face. Scary looking. I was sitting in my chair last night and I just was looking at my phone, pulled that up. I said, man, that's, that's the, this is the image. This is how most people teach the story of Adam's fall in the garden right here. You see God got that finger, get out before I kill you. That's the view. That's where, that's where all this starts right there. This is Genesis. This is the beginning. So here we got Adam and Eve in the garden. There's no doubt that they sinned, right? And, and, and what you and I heard was that God was angry because they sinned and they were disobedient. He kicked them out. And they lost their place. They lost paradise. Get out of here. God told them in the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in that day, I will kill you dead. Is that what it says? No, it don't say that, does it? But that's how a lot of Christians hear that verse. God told Adam and Eve in the day that you eat of it, he told Adam this, in the day you eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if you try to save yourself with this, if you try to get life with this, in the day that you do that, that's the day you die. God did not say that's the day I kill you. This is one thing you got to learn about God. Everything God does, if God's got his fingerprints on it, it's redemptive. If there's no redemptive value in it, God ain't got nothing to do with it. You can take it. Yeah, thank you. I was going to tell you, you can take it down and when we get scared, you know, have bad dreams. What the Bible says is that when they sin, and to me, this is the major thing about the sin. See, I grew up in church hearing that God's so holy, he can't look at sin. You want to do with sin, you know, you can't even, you know, it's one of God, just don't squash you like a bug. Uh, you know, what they say, uh, you know, the preacher that preached the greatest sermon in America, you know, sinners in the hands of an angry God. Well, when you read that sermon, he actually said, God dangles you over hell. He's like, you're like a spider. God abhors you, which means he hates you. All that stuff. And, he, and he, he, so he just tried to just, you know, that's the view. That's the view. I mean, it's just one of God don't just squash you and kill you right now. That's the view. That's why this world, that's why they think we see. Because that's the view of God. It's messed up. Now here, here, I'll just think about this. Now, I gotta hurry. But Adam in any fellowship commune with God seems to be that that was a daily event in their lives in the cool of the evening God would come and walk and talk with them and hang out with them pretty cool they got no record no no baseline for you know God doing anything but other than lavishly 
uh, uh, providing for them. He had everything ready when they when they hit the ground, so to speak. The, the paradise is there. The garden is there. You got four rivers that flow. I mean, it's just amazing. It's 1,500 miles square. Don't think of, you know, where they lived as a little, you know, a little, little small place. 1,500 miles square. And that's where they lived. They had everything. They didn't have to pray for food. They didn't have to, they didn't have to do anything like that. They, they, God had told them to tend to the garden, to keep it. You know, it wasn't like they were just lazing around, you know, not doing anything, but that was their life. And, and this loving father, now all of a sudden, they, 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 they disobey God, according to Romans 5, they, they're disobedient, they sin. And, and, but, and so if we listen to the, to the church methods that we all grew up, then God should have never come back to the planet because he's coming to talk to sinners. And I thought he could look at sin. And they're sinners now. They're sinners now, right? Do you understand that Romans 5 says that by one man's, one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. You're not a sinner because you sinned. You were a sinner because Adam sinned. And, 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 and so you were born a sinner, but not because you committed any sin, personally. You were born a sinner because you, your father is Adam. That's what Romans 5 teaches very clearly. So you were made born a sinner by one man's disobedience that was in, imparted, if you will, to you. You go, that this man, that stinks. That's not fair. I know it isn't. That seemed like it. And let me tell you something that's not fair. Because when you read Romans 5, last couple of verses, it says, by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Yet by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. So if you can accept the fact that you were made a sinner, not by your sin, but by another man's, Adam's sin, then that's when you can begin to grasp the message of grace that you have now been made righteous by one man, last Adam, same name, Adam's righteousness, and by Adam's sin, you were made sinner by birth. But now by being born again, you are now made righteous by the last Adam's righteousness, and it was imparted to you. That ain't fair either. That's called grace. That's called grace. And that's why Paul is talking about it. You've been made righteous. You didn't achieve it, you received it. It's the gift, Romans says, of righteousness. It's a gift. When did I get it? When you when you put your faith in Jesus, when you believe when you got born again. So what happened? How did God change that Adam now is afraid of God? Because the Bible said after he sinned, he's hiding with his wife. They're hiding. And the Bible's very clear. It tells us why he's hiding. He is afraid. Now, my question is this. Why? Did God all of a sudden do a 180? Is God's character so fickle? That all of a sudden now God, this God that has loved them lavishly, uh, provided everything for them, created them, loves them, adores them. Now all of a sudden he's flipped and now they're afraid of him because he comes all the time just like he did every day. And he comes to spend time with them and to hang out with them and they're hiding. And God says to him, Adam, where are you? It ain't because God didn't know. He's trying to get out and look, what are you doing? What are you doing, man? He said, God was afraid of you. He said, man, somebody tell you that. Who told you? 
Who told you you were nothing? Who told you you weren't going to make it? Who told you you were a piece of trash? Who told you that you're not going to ever get free of that? Who told you that you're going to die with this disease? Who told you that you're not valued to God? Who told you that you're nothing? Who told you that? Somebody had to tell you that. And then they told you a lie. You believed them, and that's the end. Got to be careful who you listen to. You got to be careful what you listen to. How did God change all of a sudden? He did. Let me tell you who changed. Adam. So what Adam does now to this loving father is now Adam projects his pain, his disobedience, his brokenness, his sin. And he takes his paintbrush from his own sex pool and he paints God's image. And now he has created in his mind a mythological wrong thing that he now calls God. And he fears this God knowing that he has sinned and that this God will crush him possibly like some bug. That's what it starts. And we've inherited that view and we've, we've struggled with that throughout the generations. It's wrong. Because we cast all of our pain, all our hurt, all our brokenness on him, and we view God, we think God sees God, he's like what we see him as. He's not that at all. And we've all grown up with the wrong image of God. My life would have been so much better if I had known this truth when I was 20. I thought God was paying me back. Wrong view. Totally wrong view. When, when you see, you see the apostle Paul, you see, before he's an apostle, you, you see him, he mentions that he saw, uh, you know, it's not like he got saved and God changed his name like you hear people preaching. It never says that in the Bible. Paul and Paul, the name Paul and Saul is the same name. One's just Hebrew, one's Greek. That's all it is. And so Paul, when he started ministering to Greek people, to the Gentiles, he decided to use that version of his name, which is Paul. God didn't change his name. Oh, you're a mean guy. You're Saul. I'm going to change you to a better name, Paul. Again, that's Christian ridiculousness. But the point is, he's on the way. You know, he's charged with, you know, it's going to just murder Christians. I mean, he's, he was there holding the coats of them at Stone Stephen. I mean, he's there. That's, that's as bad as it gets, man. I mean, this is this guy. And, 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 and then, you know, let me tell you how the version of that story goes in church. He's coming along and riding his horse, and God comes along and knocked him off his horse. I'll show you. I'm tougher than you. I'm bigger than you. I knock you down. How about that? I hit you so hard now, I'm blinding you. How you like that? Knock you out. How you like laying in the dirt now you can't see? That's the view. Come on now. Tell me I'm lying. How many's heard in church God knocked him off his horse? Lie. Don't say that in the Bible. It don't say it. When, when you go back to the garden, let me, let me not forget this. I, I, I see I left the door open. When they sinned, yeah, they did 
God sent them out. He said, the first verse says, in the last part of Genesis 3, God sent them from the garden to the, to the land. The next verse says in English that God drove them from the garden. That don't mean with a cane beating their back like driving some animal into a cage. If I drove you to Walgreens, does that mean I beat you all the way there? Or does that mean I did you a favor and drove you there and let you get out and get your script? <laughs> These words you come up with in your view of God's what does that to you. He drove them out of the garden for the purpose. Not, there's nothing punitive at all in that. Nothing punitive, all in God says, this is my, he's talking to the Trinity. He says, this is my heart looking man. He's, he's, he's become as one of us and unless he puts his hand forth and he eats of the tree of life and lives in this fallen state, lives in this, like this forever. In other words, God said, listen to me, and if, you, if you got this one verse, it would solve a lot of your problems. I don't have time to open that can. I'm going to crack the lid right here for you. But if you heard what God said and what God's intention and heart is, God will never allow people to eternally exist in a fallen condition. Period. Now see how that lines up with you, with your theology. God said, I won't allow my creation to live forever in this condition. I won't do it. Therefore, for their sakes and for my redemptive heart, I removed them from this possibility of that happening. And I placed cherubims there to keep the way, not from, but to the tree of life. Because God says, I'm going to bring them back to this tree. I'm going to keep it for them. And I'm going to bring them back. But before I can bring them back and let them into this tree, i got to save them. Yeah. Save them. And how am I going to save them? I'm, I'm going to become one of them. I'm going to become one of them. I'm going to live with them. I'm going to walk with them. I'm going to talk with them. And I'm going to lead them to the way. Some of you think heaven is, you know, the goal, the mansion, go to heaven, preach. She just said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Come. Nobody quotes the whole verse. I am the way, the truth, and life. Come. No one comes to the Father except through me. Heaven is about home to Papa. Heaven is going to the Father. Now the Bible says, Jesus says, no one knows the Father but the Son. That's why the Jews, man, they hate him. Because he literally took, took a stick and drew a circle around him and he said, I'm the only one that knows the Father. And if you're going to ever know him, know him through me. They was like, how dare you say that? You tell us, what about Moses? What about Elijah? You tell me. He said, I'm telling you. Nobody, nobody has seen the Father at any time. I'm the only one that knows the Father. Now I need to do something. Howard, can you get, I want, I want, and I know this may not translate Howard on the Facebook, but I want four chairs to put right here. Get, uh, get me three to start with. Just grab me some chairs. Right off front row, find anybody using them? Yeah, somebody have a kitty, God bless you. I just put me in chair. I just want to demonstrate something. All right, give me two more first, and then I want you to bring me one more when I tell you. Okay, here we go. When I tell you, bring me one more. 
And I want y'all to participate in it too. Any hang up here, bro? Right, not, not yet. I just want to, not yet. All right, now most of you think this is, this, not yet. I'm, I'm going to save that for a minute. Okay? Thank you. All right, okay, here we go. Most of you think that this is the Trinity. God's here, and what I don't have is a lot big higher chair. We got a little smaller chair here on the right hand. That's where Jesus is. And the Holy Spirit, he's over here, bird, you on this side. And that's the view of the Trinity. <clears throat> but that's not his dog. This is the view. The Bible says, <coughs> all right, um, let me do this. Holy Spirit. All right, this is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. How do you know that? Well, I read the Bible. And I realized I was allowed to. In the beginning, John 1, in the beginning, God. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. With God. The word translated with there is a Greek word that means to face, face to face. If you could go to heaven and see how the Trinity appears, this is what it would look like. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. With God. The Word was face to face with God. And the Word was God. Did you put those verses up, Angela? John 1, verse 1, 2, 3. I'm going to read it for you in just a second out of the Passion Translation. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, face to face with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word. Right? Not second verse. He was in the beginning with God, face to face with God. Third verse. All things were made through Him. All things were made through Him. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. Is that true or not? All things, let's go back. All things. Are you a thing? Have you been made? Did you come into being? Now I need the other chair. I have word the other. Put it right here. Alright. Now who goes in this chair? It's you. You're included in this. See, nobody ever told you that. You're not separated from him. Never have been. You're included. Because you were in Christ. God never had a wait and see attitude towards you. You were created in his likeness and image. You were always made to be with him. With them. With him. One God manifested in three persons, personalities, if you will. I don't understand it. Don't try to understand it. But if you can accept this, see, and so you got the Father beholding the Son, the Holy Spirit beholding the Father and the Son, and you're there. I know, and I know you were there, you were there, you are there. That's why God won't do anything without your participation with him. Because it would be to deny himself and deny that that's true and, and, and not include you. And, and, and the reason you don't know this is because your, your understanding has been darkened. Let's, let's just keep going with the verses, Angela. Verse <coughs> 4. 
in him was life. And the life was the light of men. See, I told you clearly. Next verse. And the light that shined in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Comprehend it there does not mean understand it. It means the darkness cannot overcome it. Those people that are so drugged up, so messed up, so, so uh, God's pursuing that. And God is invading them with light. Their darkness cannot overcome their light. No more than you can, you, the darkness can, can cause a light to go out. It's just so dark, it, it made my flashlight go off. Or it extinguished the match. No, no. Even the smallest amount of light will displace darkness. Because light is greater than darkness. And so what happens to us? We're born in darkness. And what Jesus is, is light. The interest of thy word bringeth light. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. He came to put light. He came to enlighten you. He came to illuminate your darkness. And, but, but, but it says that, that the light shined in the darkness, but the darkness could not overtake it. Next verse. And there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Next verse. The man came from as a witness to bear witness of that light. That, that all through him might believe. Next verse. He, he was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. Next verse. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. So every man that comes into the world, God will see to it that they get that light. God's going to see to it. Them chairs can stay right there. God's going to thank y'all. God's going to see to it. This is the picture of the Trinity. This is the picture. See, you got to think about John. I, I, can you give me about five more minutes, Timmy? This, you got to think about John that wrote John 1. This, this gospel. It's the fourth gospel. It's different than any of them. It's the fourth gospel. It, 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 it compares to the, the living creatures in Revelation, the four-headed creature. It, it, the fourth it was the flying eagle. Eagle means revelation, seeing things from a distance. An eagle can fly and spot a rabbit from seven miles high. Amazing vision. It's, it's, the, it's this fourth gospel that that, that, that fourth man in Daniel that appeared in the fiery furnace as the son of God. Fourth man. It's that, that man, because the Bible says by him, by Christ, nothing that was made was made without him. He created all things. It says without him, nothing was made. And so it was this fourth man that on the fourth day in Genesis creation set the sun in the sky. When God said, uh, the, when the word spoke in Genesis, it said, let there be light. He wasn't talking about the, the sun. Because the sun didn't appear until the fourth day. It would be from the time the day with the Lord's a thousand years, it would be on the fourth day that the Son of God would be birthed into the earth. Jesus would appear on the fourth day. The sun, the light. That's why Lazarus was in the tomb for four days. Couldn't. He couldn't get resurrected. He couldn't do nothing but stink. They wrapped him in religion and tried to preserve what's dead anyway. But Jesus looked and he said, the problem here is you need to remove the stone. I'm not here to, to bring the Ten Commandments. I'm not here to bring the law. You couldn't keep it. Remove that law. Get the law out of the way. And watch what I do. Remove ye the stone. I'm not moving it. I've already done with it. You remove it. 
you, it's your obstacle. You've got it between me and you. All you can see when you try to see me is the law, the rules, the regulations, the thou shalt nots. It's keeping you in your tomb and it's keeping you in religion and it's keeping you dead. He said, remove the stone. Get that out of the way. Stop looking at the law. You're no longer under the law. Romans, that Christ is the end of the law for them that believe. Remove the stone. Now you got it moved. Watch this. Lazarus, come forth. Here he comes. Jesus said, get them brave clothes off of my son. Get that religion. Get it off. Get it gone. And it says from that day that many, many came to believe on Jesus because of Lazarus. And this is almost comical to me. It said many just wanted to kill Lazarus. Can you imagine how stupid Lazarus thought that statement was? Oh no, you want to kill me? I've been dead four days, dude. Been there, done that, got a t-shirt. You gotta see, you gotta think about the apostle that wrote John, the fourth gospel. Keep this in mind. He was a passionate follower of Jesus and listened to him, lived with him, and saw his miracles. Number two, listen. He came to a revelation at the end of his, at the end of Jesus' life, rather. He came to a revelation and he changed his identity. And at the cross is when he finally got it. And from that day forward, he only referred to himself in this way I'm a disciple whom the Lord loves. It, did not, it was not a statement that he loves me more than the rest of the disciples. It's a statement that it ain't about me. It ain't about me trying. It ain't about me standing on my tippy toes. It ain't about how many in here love the Lord today. It ain't got nothing to do with that. It's how many in here today know you're loved by God, regardless of what you've done. That, that, that's, that's the gospel. With God, love is one way. It's a one-way street. It's from heaven toward earth. For God so loved that he gave. He didn't wait to say how mm, God loved he didn't just love him, he so loved that he gave. Love don't wait to give, it gives regardless. There's no, nothing coming back the other way. It's just grace. It's all one way street. Baby. And so God, this apostle, he, he, he had an identity change. Do you know that every person on earth can say, they can echo the same thing that, that, that John said. But you know, John said, I'm, I'm a disciple of the Lord loves. Everybody on the planet, saved or lost, can say, I'm a person that the Lord loves. If they knew that, it would change their life. But they don't know they're loved. Everybody in church, I believe in unconditional love. God, yes, he loves everybody, Brother David. Well, to love everybody means you can't, you can't keep no record wrong that they've done that. Well, if you if you got a record of what they've done wrong, then you don't really love them. You don't understand what love is. You cannot have unconditional love without unconditional forgiveness. And impossible. Yet the church tries to keep selling that. Yeah, God loves everybody, but here comes what you got to do, X, Y, Z. And then forgiveness is something that God can do. No, forgiveness is something God has done. Amen. And, and, and it's proven over and over. Now, let me, let me wrap this up. This. this apostle, John, who had that identity change, uh, uh, there's this. He was from North Africa. I, I remember his name is Tertullian. He, he, but he is a guy. He's a he's a an apologetic. He, he's a New Testament writer. He didn't write New Testament, but he lived in the time of John, and he wrote 
things. And he was a writer. He recorded historic things, almost like Josephus. And he recorded this and he wrote this and it's well known and documented. And he said that the Romans took John because he wouldn't shut up about the love of God and Jesus and grace. And they were going to silence his ministry and they filled the Roman Colosseum with spectators who were going to watch this apostle be burned alive in oil. And Tertullian was there. He is the first guy to ever write in a book the word Trinity. That's where it originates it's with him. The word Trinity is not in the Bible, but that was his way of expressing the unity of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. And he, he coined the word, he used the word Trinity, and we've been used it ever since. He was there when he said they took John and threw him into a burning cauldron of oil on fire. Thousands had filled the Roman Colosseum. Rome was going to make a point and silence this, this rebel. Petullian said that he came out of the oil unscathed, unhurt, unchanged. Apparently, God was not through with this apostle and still had other things for him to do. And it said when that, and Tertullian wrote that when, when, the, when the massive crowd saw that, almost all of them immediately. Gave, uh, uh, became believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and thousands were saved in that one moment because of what they saw. The, the, the Roman government was so furious because their meeting of uh, uh, turned into a, to a, to a, a major salvation meeting. By their act, thousands were born again and became believers in Jesus. They were so frustrated that they took this old apostle he was old when this happened to him. And they banished him to the Isle of Patmos. But even that couldn't stop him. For even though he was banished to a, to like Alcatraz of his day, a rock island, it was there on that island that he got the revelation. Not revelations. The revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. John said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's path. You know what I saw? I saw that the heavens were open. And I saw the door standing open. One spoke to me and said, come up here, son. There's no closed heavens. There's no closed doors. Jesus is the door. And he's standing wide open. And he's calling for every one of us to come in. This is that apostle. This is what he wrote about. And all God's been doing Throughout these, and I don't know why we've been so slow to get this. It's the light that's trying to invade the darkness. The darkness comes, men love darkness more than they did light, but that doesn't mean that they're darkness. There's people, you know, that I am praying for, I'm believing for, that that light, and my confidence is in this, because my words have seemed not to accomplish what I want to accomplish, but I know this. The light. The darkness cannot overcome it. The light is invading and will continue to invade because God's not going to give up. God's not going to quit. And, and what you and I get to do, this thing called Christianity, is you have a chair here. I hope you see that today. You have a chair. You're included. You always have been. 
And God's never separated himself from you. And he's always been there. And you know that. If you really are honest, you know that he's been with you even in your junk and your mess and your sorriest, lowest place. God has been right there loving you and talking to you and reaching for you. And you know it. And he's never left you and he won't leave you and he's not going to leave you alone because he loves you too much and he paid too much. He's not going to do it. And he's not separated. And he's not sitting on the front porch in heaven waiting on you to claw your way up there. God left heaven to come here to get you. He's come here after you. When he even sees a glimpse of you headed home, he runs like the prodigal father and falls on your neck with the hog smell and all the mess and he puts his arms around you and kisses your neck and loves you and he throws a party, man, and he throws a party and the church can't figure out why you party over people like that, man. They don't know it. They don't understand it and they get, they get angry about it. Like the older brother, they're angry because God will throw a party for you while you fill with hog uh, drippings and stuff. I mean, God, a party. Go, he'll throw a party. He'll say, let's celebrate. That's who he is. The church can't fathom grace. It's, it's offensive. It's radical. It doesn't make sense. It's not supposed to. It's just a God of love. He can himself. So he is. And you're in, you have a chair at this. And the Father, when you stand for God, they're not going to be standing like a tribunal. Bull, man. When you've seen him. See, Jesus said this. This is eternal life. That they, they might know you, the true and living God. Is that what it says? Possible. This is eternal life. That they may know you, Father. So what is not eternal life? Not knowing the Father. Whatever degree and level that you know the Father, there's room to know him even more. Not that you're not saved. Not that you're not ready for heaven. None of that. Your spirit was born again. You're, 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 that part's good. But un, in, in the place where you've been hurt and wounded so bad, your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, where the enemy's trying to destroy you in that area, you need to let the light invade that area. Because see, what happened to Adam was when he sinned, it reprogrammed his thinking. I remember one time when I was 15 years old, I got hurt. My little girl, I thought I loved. I was telling everybody back in those days that she's gonna be my wife, this and that, whatever. The story might not make sense to you, but if you can hear me real quick. But she was unfaithful to me. We had been very intimate and I couldn't understand that. In my brain, I thought this is the real deal here. And when that crashed, I wouldn't even, I didn't even stand it, didn't admit it, didn't even think about it back then, because I'm 15, what do I know? Not much. But what it did do to me that God didn't show me until I was much older pastoring people was that hurt. It rewired my thinking in a lot of areas, but specifically involving women, girls. And I mean no bragging, nothing macho about doing this. Sorry for it. But from that day forward, until I met this young lady on the front row that is my wife for 42 years, I wrecked every relationship I ever had. I trusted no girl, woman, further than I could throw them. Deep in my heart of hearts, I felt like they all want to, you know, they, they're not going to be faithful to you, so you might as well do it to them before they do it to you. So it didn't matter what was going on in my life. It didn't matter if we was going together. It didn't matter 
we, if they had my little class ring, it didn't matter. Even to love me when I met my wife and I put an engagement ring on her finger. We, and I had bought a home for us to live in and we were, we were set to be married. How much more committed do you get than that? We even went to church. I even had her parents and my parents and the preacher and his wife come out to our, our, our mobile home that I had mauled and we had it already set up. And, and after Sunday night church, they all came out to eat sandwiches. But inside, I'm messed up, man, in my soul. And I was unfaithful even to her, sad to say. Wouldn't the gangster bring on her finger? Woo! How stupid is that? I've never been through a divorce, but anybody close as you can get to one, we divorced after that. I remember her tossing the ring on underhanded, but that way towards me, telling me, we done. We were done. What I did is I did what any nice Christian would do. I said to hell with all of y'all. Church, God, y'all, everybody, your mom and them, all y'all can just do what you're going to do. I'm so stupid. Sin makes you do stupid. I said, I'll go, I'm going to bought me a brand new 1979 Camaro Z28 T-top. Look it up. Bad ride back then, bro. Baby blue leather seats, big 350 motor. This right here, the girls are just going to dive in when I ride by with this with them TikTok clothes. And I live like a hellion for almost a year. That ain't fun no more when you know Papa. And I had met him when I was 12. I would ride by the church where I met Papa, and I would see the cross lit up and I would cry. Why am I crying in my car? At two o'clock in the morning, coming home by myself. Why am I crying when I see that? Because I was probably, and my theology was so screwed up that I was lost as it is. I thought God didn't have no record of me. God had separated from me. God left me. God, if I died that night, I'd go straight to heaven. I would not. I'd have died and went right straight to heaven. Because if you're a son, you're still a son, and you're a son when you left Papa's house, and you're a son when you eat with the hogs. And so I said, what happened if he'd died in the hog pen? I said, he'd went home with the smell of hogs on him. But a son is a son is a son. I got, I, I remember one night I was pulled into a soybean field. My car don't make sense. I just said, and I, and, and I came home, to, I came home to Papa. And I remember I said these words to him. I said, I don't ever have a wife, I don't ever have kids, I don't ever know what all that whole world is. I want to tell you this one thing. I just by myself talking. I said, I ain't never leaving you again. I'm with you, Papa, from here on. I was 19. I'm in it. I'm 62 now. I ain't been all that bag of chips, but I ain't never left home again as far as I've been through some rough stuff, man. But I knew if he wasn't behind me, I know. Hung with him. And for over 34 years, I've come to the pulpits on Sunday. I picked up a microphone and told people about it. Don't make me great, make him great. He's too great for me to keep quiet. God did a work in me, in my soul, because 
I needed him to touch me with life where I hurt. And he healed me and he made me free. And so July the 12th of 1980, when I stood in the Adel Church of God and I was married to my wife, as they sung the presence of the Lord is in this place, the other guy that had put the ring on her finger was not the same guy that put another ring on her finger that day. And I wasn't that cheater no more. And I wasn't that, I wasn't that guy. I just wasn't that guy. There's times I've heard so bad I wanted to be that guy, but I ain't that guy. I ain't that guy. God will heal you where you hurt. And he'll invade you with light. And he'll shove the darkness out of you. And you and, and you'll and, and you walk in that revelation of how much he loves you. He has already forgiven you. He has called you to himself. He's given you his life. And he's made you right. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. I want you to stand with me. I am way over my time, and I do apologize. I don't normally keep you like this, but it's Jason and all your fault because they came so Back in those days, I preached on them. You know I normally get you out of trouble. I'm still of me. It's 12 19. But I, listen, I feel it was so important to get that out and not leave it dangling there. Listen. If you don't get anything else, can you please see that the Trinity and that you have a place Amen. and you've always had a place and God has never abandoned or separated himself from you. And even though you sinned like Adam, but God still showed up right on time. And he still looked him in the face. And right after that, one of their sons murdered another one of their sons and, and then God shows up and he's got his arms around that murderer and he's talking to him and he's communing with him and he's trying to figure it out with him. Not that God didn't understand, but he didn't understand. And, and then you say, well, he, God made him a vagabond. God's, the Bible said God put a mark on him. I don't really understand what it is, but God marked him in a way that nobody else would kill him. And everything God does is redemptive and for his life. And, 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 and so God's always trying to redeem and protect and love. That's just who he is. He's not the God, the fire. He's, he's always been that God. He's always been that God. He didn't start being that God when Jesus showed up. But he is God. Trinity's right there. And me and you, and what's amazed me these last 15, 20 years, my life in ministry, I've rediscovered the gospel. And I've entered into that when I found out I had a chair. I found out I got a chair in there. And I always had a chair. Nobody told me I had a chair in there. Nobody ever told me that I was part of all that. And that God won't do heaven without me. He won't do he, we won't do it without me. But I'm part of it. I was in him. So I'm included. Man, when I find out I'm included, and it ain't based on anything, merit, there's no it's it's the process changed me. You can tell it's changing me. It's changing me. I'm glad to be a great preacher. And however long more years I got, I'm gonna keep talking about it. I'm going to keep telling people. Because they can get a hold of this. If they, then all of a sudden the song Amazing Grace becomes really amazing. <laughs> I, can't, I, can't, I, can't, I can't express to you how much. When people sing Amazing Grace and I can tell they're really amazed. Oh, I know they got it. They have drank from the undiluted gospel. And it's 
Once you've seen it, I said the other Sunday, once you've seen it, you can't unsee it. We said with people last night, we, me and my wife had dinner with someone last night from a town in North Florida, and they said, we can't find a church. Pastor, we can't find a place. I'm not saying that because I think I'm great or we're great or whatever, but God's message is great, and ain't everybody preaching this message. Everybody ain't preaching this. Paul said, I don't care if it's an angel from heaven. If anybody comes preaching any other thing than what I've preached to you, he said, let it be a curse. You'd be better off watching me on Facebook than you would go somewhere where they'd beat the heck out of you with the law. I got him in Austin, Texas, brother, right now. He's listening to me, and I love him. He knows who he is. He, he said, I can't find no place like that. Because he stopped by on his job several years ago, him and his wife, and he placed his company, sent him here, and he sat in these chairs for six months. And then they sent him on to another, and moved to Texas, but he, he's done seen it now. He can't unsee it. Amen. And he's not comfortable sitting in the church when they're being fed mixed drinks to him. He wants it undiluted. No rules. No, you're not. We don't need you ten steps to get saved. We just need you one step into the kingdom. Believe. Believe in Him. And when you believe in Him, that's it. Amen. I love you, Phil. Thank you for going in them prisons, preaching in them prisons to those prisoners, man, and telling them this. Well, that man right there, he. He told me the other day he delivered my mail. <laughs> I think that's something how you said. He goes there and he said, and he, and he delivers it. I said, deliver it, brother. Yeah. Now, say it like you come up with it. <laughs> say it like, well, I didn't come up with it. All I'm doing is delivering the mail. I didn't, I didn't originate with me. I'm just declaring what, what, what he says. Yes. Amen? Yeah. I'm going to say, I'm going to dismiss you. I'm kind of sorry for keeping you a little over, but not too bad. <laughs> I just, this is a different day here. Different day. You feel it, can't you? Yeah. Oh, this here was, this was in there. Mm -hmm. I feel when the Lord's blowing his wind through my lungs. Yeah. I feel it. Yeah. Wish it like every week, but I feel it, man. I feel it when he's blowing through there. Oh, uh, but I'm going to be up here. Also, would you come up here? Just come on up here. Come stand with me. And my elders are here. We got people that love you. Hey, if you want to pray, you know, we just want to say to you that we just want to, we don't want to throw you out here and tell you go eat chicken or something, but, but we love you. And if you need to, you know, want somebody to pray with you after what you've heard, uh, you know, then we're, we're just here for you. And I'm going to dismiss everybody. And I'm, I hope you go and just have a blast today. I hope you, I hope you walk out of here full of God's grace and truth. And, and if you, you tell everybody that will give you an opportunity to listen to you when you get that opportunity how much he loves them. It don't matter how much he loves them, how much he cares for them, he's done forgiving them. And just tell them, man. And boy, when they see it, you'll see the light come on. The light's within them. He's that light. Jesus said, now you're the light. You're the light now. You're to bear witness to you're to do the same thing John did. And you're to walk out of here and say, I'm a disciple that the Lord loves. Yeah. It don't matter what I did. It don't matter that I abandoned Jesus at the cross and I didn't show up by halfway through it. But I know this. He loves me, man. I'm loved by God. Can't nobody take that from me. I'm loved by the Lord. And I'm going to live my life from this moment forward knowing every day that I'm loved by Him. 
And I'm just going to let his life roll through and the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. I'm going to live this out. And I'll tell you, I'm enjoying my Christianity in these past 15 years like I never have before. I'm enjoying it. Most enjoyed it from day one. I just had too many lies circulating around. Go and sin no more. Okay, I love you. See, I'm trying to dismiss y'all. Y'all don't even want to leave. 